Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's I'm Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Got Kid Presentable here with me. Got Lavender Gooms here. Got DJ Mark. We're here, folks. We made it to another week. Episode 267. Nice. Doing this a long time, folks. Yes, nice. Well put. Um, First off, uh, I'm going to go a quick rest in peace to... Dolores O'Riordan from the Cranberries passed away. Uh, if you don't listen to the Cranberries at all, if nothing else, you know the song Zombie from the Korean Zombies they're, Walkout. They're and an also, Irish band. Yeah, they're an Irish band. Um, mostly known for the songs Linger and uh, and Zombie. Zombie um, actually is about a uh, IRA bombing um, at Warrington. Back in '93, song act, but then it became the theme song for uh, Korean Zombie, and um, also notably, if you uh, ever saw one, uh, I don't know how to say her first name properly, but Aisling Daily, Aisling um, Aisling Daily. I don't know how to say the girl's name necessarily. She's a fighter out of um, Connor's camp, out of the SBG gym. When she came out to that song at the uh, Ireland card, the crowd lost their mind. So, but yeah. Um, Dolores O'Riordan passed away today, only 46 um, years old, so that sucks. If you're familiar with Zombie, the album uh, No Need to Argue, um, that's the album that's on. That's one of my all-time favorite like music records, like top to bottom. It's got it's full of good music. Cranberries were a fantastic band. Um, another, another fun fact about the Cranberries, they sang for, I forget which one of the contestants on The Bachelorette when they went to Ireland. Oh, that's nice. Um, Which is they why actually, I know they're an Irish band. Yeah, they got uh, they uh, they were still they were back together now. So that kind of sucks, though. It's hard to hear. You know, fuck, forty six years old. That's crazy young. So rest in peace to her family. Um, just wish them all the best. It's kind of sucks. I mean, it really sucks. Not kind of sucks. Um, all right. Um, transitioning to other news. Um, before we pick these, before we talk about the fights from last night, uh, some news that broke. Um. I believe I've referred to some of it as nonsense because we're getting ourselves another interim champ. Um, looks like Bobby Knuckles is hurt. And um, because we can't just have two dudes fight for the sake of fighting, um, it's going to be uh, Yoel Romero versus Luke Rockhold for an interim championship. Okay. I like the fight. I like the fight. I don't need a belt. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing it's a pay-per-view though, right? Yeah. That's why. So there's no such thing as a number one contender anymore. You're not a number one contender unless you have an interim belt. They should have different colors, right? Like the the interim belt should be a different color, right? Let's. There should be be some distinction between the two. Yeah. You know, maybe it's made out of fake shit. Maybe it's like uh, get one of those foam belts. You give a. I was telling you, I've been I've been campaigning for just across the board, and maybe I'm I have too much like pro wrestling fan in me from growing up, like. I wish any of the division belts looked different. They're all the same piece of UFC gold. What about, 
That's why I like McGregor got to borrow Tyron Woodley's belt in New York because they're all the same goddamn belt. Yeah. What about this suggestion, guys? To piggyback on your World Wrestling uh, Federation uh, thing. So they call the UFC Championship the World Champion, right? How about instead of calling them the number one contender? Oh, here we go. I like this. Intercontinental belt. Yes. That's Mike. That's where it's at. <laughs> Intercontinental title. By the way, Stefan, we're talking about making the belts different. Let's just get to the end of the story here, what you and me are talking about, right? We want someone with a white strap. We want the Shawn Michaels white strap. I told you last time I was at the fight shop in Vegas, I was just staring at the white Intercontinental title. It was like $300, and I was like, I need this. This would make I mean, me happier as a person. Like The Rock had his own custom belt. Stone Cold had his smoking not, skull belt. Like, I'm not even had, about that. Personalized. I'm not even about that. I'm all about just a different color strap. I think Razor Ramon had the yellow strap with the same belt. You know, I'm, I'm all for that. Someone had like a baby blue strap. I, I got picked that in the 90s. And it was definitely the Intercontinental belt. It well, might have been someone like Jeff Jarrett. Intercontinental belt's gotten some disrespect over the years, let's be honest. Um... Yeah, so that's happening. Um, I like the fight. That's true, Marcus. I'm down for this fight. It's just... I know they wanted to put another title fight on this card, and it didn't really work out. Um, so instead, we're going to lie to the people and say this is for a championship. So It's kind of the story of the middleweight division this past year, with uh, Bisping kind of being the champion. It's like, all these fights happened that were relevant. Everything Bobby Knuckles did was relevant, but it was kind of outside the context of the title picture. Yeah. But like... You know, Bobby Knuckles was fighting the contenders who should have been fighting for the belt. That's why when he was just crowned the, like, uh, undisputed champion after GSP vacated, it's like, yeah, okay. It's kind of he was doing that job anyway. I mean, we're, we're, we're headed that way at lightweight. It sounds like Connor doesn't want to fight till September. And Dana's like, well, if he doesn't fight till September, we're going to have to strip him of the belt. I don't see how he gives a shit because the dude still walks around with two titles anyway. But um, I'm not sure that's the best negotiating tactic to get the man back earlier um other news we got and this was actually related to the card that ended happened last night um where uh uriah hall i guess passed out in the middle of his weight cut um was one pound away or on weight depending on who you ask um and um dana white was quick to say like you know he'll come to the performance institute but then he'll leave and go party in la for a week which to me sounds like the performance institute just exists as a place to narc on the fighters so, as a UFC fighter, if you think the Performance Institute people work for you, they don't. They work for the UFC. And they will roll over on your ass in two seconds if it, you know, if they ask them to. Um, so, Uriah Hall couldn't fight. Uh, Vitor didn't get paid. Um, you gotta, you and- gotta love Dana White's, uh, when he got asked if Vitor would be given his show money. Oh. He responds with, We offered him a fight tonight. Like, wait. Uriah Hall missed weight yesterday, going basically going to the weigh-ins. Okay, let's Who the hell let's did you find the fight. Okay, let's let's just get, let's get this out of the way because I put this out there on Twitter today, and I feel most logical people feel this way, unless you are some sort of idiot, um, which maybe you're a logical idiot. If you show up and you are ready to fight, meaning you made weight or hell, you didn't pull yourself out of weigh-ins, and your fight falls through. You need to get paid your show and win money. Period. Well, I, I, wouldn't say I don't care if I don't. No, no, fuck that. They, they've allocated this money. You showed up. You did your job. The other guy 
was not fit to compete. You, they have allocated this money. They don't get to just pocket this shit. I don't care if they book you to fight the next week. You show, He showed up. And I, this is Vitor Belfort, who well, does not owe anything, I don't think. Well, but well, Vitor Bobby, showed up and was ready to fight. Bobby, you know as much as I do that the reason why he's able to just not pay him anything is because it's not it's not in the contract. No, no, I'm, I'm, not, able, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. Paid your show money, get a better lawyer. I'm saying whoever these managers are, I that would be the first fucking thing I bring up. If a motherfucker, if my guy's opponent doesn't show up or can't make weight, or you pull him to fight somebody else. Or yada yada yada. I want the entire check. That's fair. I don't know. Yeah. Let's let's get into this thing. Um, let's get it. And um, we also have uh, Vitor said he wanted to fight Michael Bisping, and then he leaked it to a Brazilian paper, and the Brazilian paper said it was in the works. But then Ariel called Michael Bisping, and Michael Bisping said, uh, "I detest Vitor Belfort and don't want to be associated with him." Which that's a new that's a level of dislike that like I don't even want to fight him. Fuck him. Like, I mean, we, we know what Vitor did to Michael Bisping, right? Yeah, he got juiced to the tits and blinded him. That eye. Yeah. So uh, I, I get the sentiment from Bisping. I, I, I thought he meant that as like a retirement fight, but I could understand, like, fuck it. I don't want this guy to even get paid off of me. Normally, I, I think I, I normally think Bisping is trying to, like, work the situation maybe to make it like maybe he is still. Maybe he's trying to build up the hype because Bisping will start a blood feud with anybody when it's time to fight them. But it, I got the impression this dude's like, this is my last fight. I'm in fucking Manchester or London or wherever the hell they are in England. Fuck this dude. Like, I don't want that. That's my impression. Um, Anyway, let's get into this card that happened last night. Sunday night card um, headlined by Duho. Duho Choi taking on Jeremy Stevens. Marcus, what did the people see? Uh, Yeah, I mean... Ultimately, I think we we really got what we were expecting in the second round. In the first round, we got a probably a more measured and tactile fight between these two. Um, and I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I kind of thought maybe Duho kind of just did just barely enough to to edge himself out in that first round. Um, but it, it was really in the opening moments of the second round where uh, we really saw Jeremy Stevens uh, really open up, get a lot more aggressive, and Duho, you know, as well, you know, countering a little bit better. And I mean, that's really you know, the second round is really where I think the the fight that we were anticipating kind of really, you know, came into fruition. And um, I think ultimately what we saw is Duho's style, while when he is alert and not fatigued, uh, tends to work out very well for him where he stands up very straight. Um, and his defensive capabilities is really movement and getting out of the range of the other fighter, slipping just out of the pocket, encountering um, – he is a tall fighter for the weight class and he has a pretty decent reach. So he gets most of his success by just hanging right outside the pocket, letting the other opponent um, overcommit to a punch and countering or even being uh, aggressive in, in, in utilizing that reach to uh, pressure the opponent against the cage and uh, use his, his right straight, which I think is his, is his best punch um, to finish fights. And what we saw in the first round was them measuring each other, using a lot of low kicks to try to set up the punches and uh, what we eventually saw in the second round when things really got flown was Jeremy Stevens being a lot more aggressive, coming forward a lot quicker, throwing multiple punches. And that's where you started to see the defense and Duho start to collapse. Um, you know, as he started getting hit, the reflexes started slowing down and his emphasis on, uh, you know, quick footwork to kind of get out of the way of the shots is is an okay strategy when you have your bindings on you and your Twix reflexes are quick enough to see the punches coming and be able to move out of the way and counter. Once he starts getting hit, his 
defenses really become a lot less manageable, right? If he's not using his hands to defend his head or using head movement to get out of the way of the punches, and it's really just moving back or moving to the side to avoid punches, once he starts slowing down because he starts eating damage, like we saw in the Cubs-Swanson fight as well, um, he's a lot more susceptible to getting these big hits. And that's a, a, basically what we saw with Jeremy Stevens, where this is a guy who can be very aggressive and be, you know, utilize those skills well and get a lot of victories by just having pure aggression and having heavy hands and, uh, you know, swarming the guys. And, and Duho isn't necessarily, you know, incapable of managing that kind of swarming behavior because usually what he does is he steps out of the pocket, he counters, he hurts the guy, and he makes him double think about um, using that kind of aggressive step-in movements to kind of, you know, uh, basically minimize the range to score those punches. But as Jeremy was able to quickly step into the pocket, throw multiple punches faster than Duho was able to retreat and counter. Um, that's where we saw him see success. And ultimately it was a big left hook that kind of clipped uh, Duho and knocked him to the ground. And I think, I think one of the major points of this fight, uh, Jeremy Stevens, you know, downed him, followed him down with some really heavy elbows. Uh, I think we all agree that at that point, Duho was definitely in a lot of trouble. He was definitely hurt. Um, and the referee ended up calling the fight at that point. I, I we, we talked about this before the fight. I think all of us thought, you know, especially since we saw Duho take a lot of uh, punishment in the Cubs-Swanson fight, um, this also being the main event, uh, you don't want to stop the fight too early. And this stoppage was really around that cusp of potentially, you know, being egregiously too early or just looking after Duho. Jeremy came down with some really hard counter strikes. Do you, you think know, he, was, he was he was getting bombed on a little bit leading up to that? You think that's part of the reason? They're like, this well, yeah, getting getting. He was taking punches, and he eventually got down. And I, I mean, for me, what I think it was is the referee seeing Duho taking a, a good amount of punishment and really Jeremy throwing, because those last elbows were full strength. And while Duho was covering up, and none of them really got through where they like did a ton of damage to Duho where he started you know, going out, losing his facilities where he wasn't able to cover up. He was still intelligently defending himself to some degree where he was covering up his head. And there was some movement. There wasn't a, it wasn't like he pushed off the guy's hips and was trying to build himself back up to standing. He was on the ground defending, maybe waiting out the storm with Jeremy Stevens. And the referee decided to stop the fight. Um, my gut reaction was like, it was a little early. I think Duho could have taken more punishment and potentially still you know, not only just intelligent to intelligently defend himself, but be able to, you know, build up some kind of comeback because he wasn't, you know, that damaged, that damaged yet. But I, I didn't feel bad about the stoppage either. He got downed and he, you know, Jeremy Stevens did what a lot of guys should do is throw smart, intelligent punches and elbows in this case. And even though they weren't able to really break the guard and, you know, clearly knock out Duho, it was more than enough aggression and kind of power that the referee was comfortable yeah. stopping the fight. Makes sense. Stefan, um, I don't look, the kid was 14 and one coming off of three straight UFC knockouts in a, like a combined one round. Um, and then they gave him Cub Swanson and looked like that was probably like it looked honestly like the winner of that fight was right there for a title shot, maybe. But I don't like I don't think I, maybe I don't know if this is a plan on them. I guess let's go this way. This isn't a surprise. The UFC doesn't really know, I feel, a lot of times how to build a guy up. And I feel giving him Cub Swanson followed by Jeremy Stevens, which between the two of them had been knocked out twice. And one of those was Jose Aldo knocking Cub Swanson out with a, you know, ridiculous double knee. Jeremy Stevens is a man who appears to be made out of gravel. So I'm not sure knocking him out's that easy. I don't understand what they're doing. 
with their booking of this kid. Do you understand my concern at all? I see what you're saying, but at the same time, like you, you said before Cub, he had knocked out three dudes. So what was selling this guy was this unassuming guy who had finishing power. So what you gave him were two guys that weren't going to take him down. They weren't going to they weren't going to wrestle him. They weren't going to clinch him against the fence. And it sometimes it, it does feel harsh in hindsight that these are the two fights he had in a row, especially now that he's dropped them. But at the same time, if he had won, he's in title contention, you know. Do you um, think they're trying to fast track it a little bit? Because I remember with Zombie, they got him his title shot right before he was going to go to military service. Part of the logic might be that if he's the champion, some people seem to say if you're the ch- like I don't know, I don't know how accurate this. People are saying like if you're a champion and you know they might give him some sort of waiver. Do you think they're like between the cup fight and maybe trying to get him back on track here with like top six gatekeeper Jeremy Stevens? Do you think they're trying to get him that fight to get him out of that or something? Like I I I, I don't I think they're doing it for him. Like. I mean, is that a caveat? I think that's his caveat. I think Duho mentioned it. I don't think Dana White knows the military system and we need to keep this kid from going to the military. I think he yeah. didn't want to do it. I think I see he your point. was 26. <laughs> he just got married. He wants to be a champion. He doesn't want to do military service. You know what? Right now is not a great time to be in that military service because tensions are rising. Well, the other well. guy, like, didn't that other guy who fought last night also just come back from it? That uh, Kuoho Hang or Kang or something? He yeah, he, Kang, just came he back. just finished his, so... You know, that's that's kind of just a big primary concern. It's two years coming in your mid late twenties, that's kind of your prime years. So um I think this I think this is what Duho wanted as well. I think he wanted Jeremy Stevens is a name. It can launch you in contention. And if we look at like um who the champion is, he's another stand-up guy. So you know that's gonna market well. If you have a guy who's coming up with stand-up knockout power, and that's who Max Holloway gets to take on if he beats uh, gets through Frankie Edgar next, like that's gonna sell. That's gonna fast track, you know. Um, when Duho came out, came out to the Superman theme, that got that was- me pumped. Paul Felder was pumped about it. Like Duho knew what it took to be memorable. He just didn't get the wins, unfortunately. You know, um, I don't have a problem with those matchups. Again, it's one of those things. If he's gonna be a title contender, these are the guys he should you- beat, right? Yeah, and um, you guys saw, have to saw Max Holloway get those fights. You guys have to remember too. Duho, I mean, I think the biggest jump in skill was from his three knockouts to Cub, and that's a fight Duho literally called out. That wasn't matchmate. That was Duho saying, I want Cub Swanson next. I think that was the biggest jump in skill. That's I don't a fair think point. Going, and I don't think going from a fight of the night, you know, fight of the year contender with Cub Swanson, then to Jeremy Stevens is like an illogical. This isn't, uh, uh, what's that Japanese guy that just kept failing upwards? That isn't that case, right? Yeah, Akiyama. Like this isn't Akiyama. Yeah, I, I, I guess I wasn't meant so much like the rankings of the guys as much as like their style of fight is more so what I meant. But I see, yeah, I and, see your point entirely. And and, and, I, and and in that case, I would agree with Steph. Like the, the these were both stylistically matchups that I think we all thought. And I mean, I don't remember who we all picked with Cub, but we all picked Duho. Like we thought, I, I think personally, those matchups favored well for Duho because of the things Stefan mentioned. Like these aren't guys that are going to wrestle him. These are guys that are going to brawl with him. And at that point, this guy was a killer. This guy is. Connor McGregor esque, you know, getting first round knockouts with straight right punches as a long, lengthy guy that uses some of the same skills that Connor does straight, straight up stance that uses a lot of footwork to get out of the range of punches. So, yeah, I don't think it was bad matchmaking. I think it was a lot of heat checks 
And now we're seeing, you know, maybe this kid is still young. He's not quite the. Yeah, I don't. Want, I don't want him to ruin him. I don't. I don't want this kid to get a bunch of ass whoopings in a row, and all of a sudden, you know, we think he's no, shop worn. And I, I know um, I mentioned in my analysis that win, win, lose, or draw in these fights, like this kid's young. He's going to get better. Don't let a couple losses here kind of deter you off the fact that he has, you know, a strong skill set that obviously now he needs to build off of. Yeah, Mike, um, t- to you, sir. Um, we got ourselves Jeremy Stevens out here smoking a dude in seven minutes. I mean, that's smoking in the sense. Okay. He whooped, he knocked him out. All right. Um, Jeremy Stevens, noted gatekeeper. Dude, um, Stefan, what was, how many wins has he got? Or Mark, whoever's got this up. Mike, you might have it. How many wins in a row has Jeremy Stevens got? Jeremy Stevens has two wins in a row. I mean, look, we're looking at 145 where Brian Ortega is kind of the, uh, guy in waiting behind this Frankie Edgar and, uh, Jose Aldo matchup. You got like Josh Emmett is kind of got an inflated ranking because he knocked out Ricardo Lamas. We also have Jeremy Stevens who can't lose a fucking fight. Not Jeremy Stevens, uh, Darren Elkins who can't lose a fight. He's won like six or seven in a row. What do you what do you like here? What do you want him to do? Do you think we just keep T City away from everybody and just book the win him against the winner of uh, Frankie and Max? Do you get T City in there with like? I don't know, Emmett, or you get T-City in there with Stevens or Elkins. What, what do you like with them to do with these? what we got here? I want to see Jeremy Stevens and, and Ortega. Uh, I think that would be a pretty entertaining fight to see. Uh, I know this is going to sound weird considering I'm the one that's always saying uh, do do what's best for you if you got to wait a year. You know, just wait for the title shot. But I think that would be a good, a good fight for the fans to see. Um we know that I know Frankie beat Jeremy Stevens because that was not that long ago. Do you know if Jeremy's got a loss to Max? Hall- Max Holloway fought everybody. I'm assuming he caught yeah, he Jeremy beat Stevens. Jeremy Stevens caught those hands. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, about that's the problem with Max Holloway. Max Holloway beat everybody. It took you know 15 fights to get to the title shot. Um, so you want to see T City and Brian Jeremy Stevens? Yeah, I mean uh, Max fights in about two months. I think he fights in April. Uh. It wasn't even that long, was it? I thought it was pretty early. It's like it's not this Australia card. Maybe the one after. It might be two twenty two. He fights uh, beginning of March. Beginning of March. Yeah, beginning of March. So I mean, honestly, it's not, it's not that far. You could if I'm T City, it's halfway through January. Maybe you're like, uh, yeah. you know. I mean, it's only about. A and Max month likes and the Max likes to fight too. Fight. Max likes to fight a lot. History history has shown that Max likes to fight every three to four months. So, Jer- for Jeremy Stevens, he would want to fight Ortega. I would want to see that fight as well. But for Brian Ortega, it doesn't make any sense to wait for that uh, to to fight Jeremy Stevens. So, I think for Jeremy Stevens at this point now, uh, besides Ortega, there's really not anyone else I would want to see him fight. I would just like to see him fight again. Uh, I'm going to say I'm a little guilty of that. I, besides knowing he could hit very hard, I had kind of forgotten what type of fighter Jeremy Stevens was and how he's, he's one of those guys also kind of reminds me of Dos Anjos where he's clearly getting better. Like he's, but he's just been in the UFC since he was like 19. So we're like, we've, we've, I think we've seen Jeremy Stevens fight a good 20 times. So, um, the co-main event to this one, honestly, my takeaway of this Paige Van Zant and, um, Jessica Rose Clark fight. I honestly came out of it thinking Paige Van Zandt's very tough for the forearm, her having a broken forearm and fighting. But she looks too small for this weight class. 
that's my take on it. Steph, what did you think? Uh, Paige, like, it just left a lot to be desired, I thought. Um, I just want to say, she, you know, she, she... Prop, props to her. It was a gritty, gritty performance. Um, she broke that forearm very early on. Um, but I think I said to you while I was watching it, you know, even before that happened, her hands look a little sloppy. Um, she, she doesn't have a lot. She, looks, she normally looks like she's getting better, like, between fights, Steph. You know, I mean, I know she's at a new camp. She's back. In Oregon or whatever, or training with Chael, but she didn't. Normally, you I feel like with Chael, between Paige's fights, we see like, especially coming off of a loss, we really see an advancement in her skills. I didn't seem like we saw that. You know, we do. We saw the. You know, she has that great highlight of the switch kick knockout on um, Beck Rollins, and um, but I think what it also kind of I learned in this fight is she doesn't have a lot of techniques. Um, I kind of joked it's like she was spamming the shoulder modifier. But it's like early in the career mode where you don't have enough experience to add more attacks. Like, she only had a side kick, a front push kick, and that switch kick. She had nothing else to set it up with. Granted, maybe it's different if she could set up punches. But that first round before she broke her arm, her hands were bad. She kind of leaped in and got tagged a lot. Like, she didn't really have any snap on her jab. Like, um, And she's still a big weakness is shown. She's still really weak in the clinch. And I think that speaks to what you said maybe 125 if 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 jessica rose clark is outpowering her in the clinch i don't know how the rest of this division bodes for her because these are she's someone who came up from 115 and you know there are 135ers that are going to drop down to 125 so if jessica rose clark is out muscling you in the clinch like that um that bodes really bad if someone like valentina comes down you know um it's tough is uh i understand the weight at 115 was tough for her. I I know it's it's harder for women to cut weight. Um, the the pounds don't come off as easy as the men do. They can't make as drastic of weight cuts as routinely. Um, but one twenty five does not necessarily look like the best place to me based on this performance. Um, again, yeah, she's I, pretty I, as hell, but there were a lot of holes in her game in this fight, and it just kind of makes me worried about her. Uh, she's like she's like twenty three. She's really young in the game still, so there's a lot of room to go. But I wonder sometimes about like. Not how much she wants this, because the girl's tough as nails. But like, I'm like, I'm, I'm hanging out on like the pro on uh, the pro wrestling subreddit, um, and like, there's p- people there talking how like Paige told this interview place that like, oh, if WWE called, I'd love to talk to them, or I'd love to be a WWE diva, which isn't a thing anymore. But you know, I don't know. I mean, again, she's tough as hell. But like, when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, man, you're 23. Are we? We're already at that point. Like, we're gonna leave now. Um, you don't want to make your mark first, but. I don't know. We'll see where she goes from here. Uh, Marcus, uh, Emil Mack, Kamaro Usman. I've talked up. I mean, I was disappointed. As someone who knows, I've seen Usman fight a lot, and I know what he's capable of, and he's truly one of the content, one of the like the rising contenders slash prospects in his division. It really left a lot to be desired in this fight, his performance, wouldn't you say? Because it looked like he probably had control of this thing for as long as he wanted it to without... Um, well, I, I think uh, one, I would say that I think Meek probably isn't getting a lot of respect in this fight for what he was able to do in the fight, which is being an extremely capable defensive fighter where, you know, it seemed pretty obvious Usman was mostly interested in turning this into a grappling exchange. And while Meek consistently throughout the entire fight, you know, when we talk about, you know, or maybe a little later, when we talk about Michael Johnson and sometimes when we see guys kind of like break a little bit and have their, you know, just see the kind of the the driving force in them kind of break. We didn't see that in Meek, even though he was getting completely out-wrestled. Anytime he got to the ground, he was constantly fighting. And, and he knew he knew his P's and Q's on the ground, 
on how to get the underhooks, how to build himself back up, how to get back on his feet. But yeah, he really showed his toughness overall, huh, Marcus? Yeah, I mean, and we saw those moments where, you know, each each in the beginning of the round when they were standing, I think Meek was getting the better of those exchanges. We, we've seen Usman, you, I mean, when you look at his highlight reels, you think this guy's a terror standing up. He throws big, heavy hands. He didn't really want anything to do with Meek, and whether that's because he knew that his wrestling acclimate was just so much better, there's no... There's no benefit to him exchanging hands with this guy who clearly knows, you know, how, how to strike with a guy. And why not just turn this into a grappling exchange where he was obviously the stronger of the two. But I I mean, for this fight, I was impressed on a couple things. Usman, while we didn't see his his full skill set where he wasn't really utilizing his stand up well to do damage. Um, what I was really impressed with was not only just his wrestling acclimate, but how he was able to keep up that pace for the for the three rounds. Because I remember going into the first and second round. I was thinking like this is a big muscular guy who's throwing a lot of energy around because like I said, Meek was constantly moving on the ground, getting back up, and Usman had to constantly drag him back down. Do he did multiple big slams on him. And you know, for a lot of guys, like we've seen a lot of wrestler types like Tyrone Woodley back in the day, that kind of chain wrestling, that constant pull and push that he was displaying in this fight is extremely tiring. And we usually see guys that aren't in phenomenal shape start to gas out in that third round, especially when he was, you know, ahead in the scorecards. You didn't see Usman really. I, at no point did I feel like he was strongly attempting to finish the fight, whether with ground and pound or positioning to get a submission. But he was constantly moving and constantly putting Meek on his ass and just controlling the fight. So I was impressed with that. And, and for Meek's standpoint, again, I was just impressed with his heart that the guy constantly was just getting out-muscled, out-class. You know, obviously the wrestling was so much better with Usman, but Meek really wouldn't give up. And you can see how frustrated he was at the end of the fight that he wasn't able to utilize his skills the best that he can. And he definitely had some moments. I think in the third round, he got a three-punch combination, ending with a left hook on Usman that looked really good, but he could never sustain that momentum to really keep it standing and uh, to, to do some punishment on the feet. So I, I feel like both guys came away, at least on my eyes. I, I saw some things in them that I'm still interested in. I think, obviously, Meek needs to be matched up with someone who's going to not be able just to dominate him on the grappling. And Usman, I think at this point, he, he shouted out Kobe Cummingston. I think they have a similar enough skill set. And I think Usman, those two fighters, I think his hands are a lot better. Um, that I, I'd like to see them go at it because that, uh, I think they that, have that, a similar that rest fight of Marcus, the rest of his post-fight interview, though, that was... He I was, was going to say... Clear, um, he was not clear what he meant when he said 30%. Cause, well, yeah. Oh, I, that was, I thought he was clear. Us, I, thought, I think people well, are misunderstanding that. I think you weren't listening hard. And it's not even that 30%. I, I, I told you, I didn't really have a picture of this guy. I had heard his name a lot. I'd heard his reputation. Um, it's not the 30 I fully understood what he meant by 30%, but he lost me on that promo he cut. I'm like, you're just kind of coming was, off like as a total dick right now for no reason. Like, hey, hey, wait a call, second. Call, calling yourself the well-rounded after you did a complete snore fest. Yeah, you, if you want, if like, you want to go after this is basically. Mark was right. He didn't want to stand with this guy. And you're going to talk about you are the most guys, well-rounded. I'm like, need some explanation because I was out at a birthday dinner yesterday. So what are you guys talking about when you say thirty percent? Okay, well, he so he out, came out like saying like during his thing talking big game. He's he. No one wants to mess with him. He's like he's a monster. You know, uh, he's the most well-rounded fighter in the division, which I'm already laughing at. Like, you didn't want to stand for your life. Like, you didn't, not that you couldn't, you didn't want to. You wanted no part of it. And on the ground, all you wanted to do was hold the guy down. You didn't even want to posture up for punches. You didn't want to attempt any subs. You just wanted to control the shit out of him. He had nasty takedowns, yes, but it was one, it was one-dimensional as a fighter could be in a dominant, as dominant of a fight as it was. And he was talking about how basically he was only 30% healthy. Like, oh, but like on 30%, 
like health, I still whoop this guy's ass. And it's one of those things like a lot of fighters I would like, they'd be like, you know what? I can do better than this. Not like, look how great I am at 30%. Because like, again, it was one-sided, but I mean, it was Steph, like as one-dimensional as it could be. Well, Steph, also, let's be honest. This is like some basic fucking shit right here. Covington is the bad guy here. Everybody hates Covington. That's not how you cut a baby face promo. That's the thing is, if, if Covington is setting up to too. be his rival, I said all he is is doing the exact same thing as Covington, and that's being a dick while being boring. Like, you can yeah, get man, on the, like, in front of this. You that fight was not so easy. Like that fight was not the time for that promo. After you knocked that last dude out in like a minute and a half, that was the time for that promo. That it's, was when you gave the promo. <laughs> he really followed the Colby Covington shtick of I'm gonna cut the I'm an asshole promo after boring the audience. Uh, like, like, it's like literally like, it's like the it's almost like a Donald Trump approach to talking to people where like, motherfucker, you know we saw what just happened, right? Like when you tell me shit's going well. Like we we, we have eyes. I saw the fight. So no, it bums no. me out that this is my first real like sustainable impression of the guy. And man, yeah, I, I heard I, him talk I was, so much and I was like I left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. I mean, still, I think he's won, like, what, seven in a row, six in a row? Let's give the motherfucker a guy. Have them fight each other. Whatever. We'll see. We'll get one out of them. Uh, Mike, we had ourselves Darren Elkins and Michael Johnson, and I really appreciate when we talk about a fight, and it kind of just plays out the way we're talking about, like, almost exactly, where we're all like, Michael Johnson could win, but then round two might start, and then he might get choked. <laughs> Fuck. Mike, what do you think of the fight? <laughs> well, from what I've heard, the fight played out exactly uh, how we thought it was going to play out. Michael Johnson was going to look gangbusters in the first round, and not looking like a it... looking like goddamn Jose Aldo out there with those kicks, those punches, the hands, everything. <laughs> and not because of fatigue or anything physical of any nature, he looks like shit going into the second round, and sure enough, he loses by submission. Stefan, did you know that there was a record for most submission attempts without a submission? And it was 20. And it's gone now because on his 21st submission attempt in the UFC, Darren Elkins choked out Michael Johnson. Oh, I thought we were talking like single fight. And I'm like, yeah, it wasn't that active on the ground. But, <laughs> You're like, what do you mean? Like it was only like it was just one choke. <laughs> I mean, it went exactly how I thought it would, except for that finish. The finish is the whole I think you were right there. Uh I didn't I didn't expect that, but yeah, Michael Johnson is still a front runner. Um I do, do, I no one needs a sports say. no one needs a sports psychologist more than this dude, man. He's too good to like I don't I don't come out of these fights thinking like well, he got outclassed. I like that one. Literally, like, look, we all know Darren Elkins is a good fighter, but like, Darren, like, in the first round, Darren Elkins is shooting on him, and Michael Johnson has got his hips back, and he's sprawling like, like so fast, like he's not even close. In the second round, he gets on the ground, and I'm just like, he's slowly working for this choke. I'm like, if he gets fucking tapped out here, man, oh my god, he got tapped out. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, it's my fault for picking him, but shit, come on. He seems too good to lose like this, right, Marcus? I, the, the problem with Johnson is he he needs to tighten up a few of his techniques and a few of the things in this game because there, there's a couple of things that he, he does well. He's a long, lengthy guy, and he's a southpaw, and he knows how to use that star well. He knows how to use his lead left straight. And part of the problem is, is that he overextends on a lot of his punches, and he throws hard. 
And not only does that tire him out, the other caveat of the things he needs to tighten up is that he's not great at really aiming those punches, especially when it's in the exchanges. There was multiple times in this fight where he was doing two, three punches exchanges with uh, uh, Derek, and they were just off. You know, they just weren't on the cue. They weren't. It doesn't seem like a lot of times he's really looking and focusing on where he's trying to hit, and he just knows that he's in the pocket and he's going to throw one, two, and they end up missing. The other thing that he had problems with, and it wasn't, I mean, you're right, Bobby, the right analysis in the first round, like he had that, he knew Derek Elkins was going to come in with a couple punches and shoot doubles. And he had that, you know, he had that scouted and he was ready for sprawls. Sometimes when the, when the takedown didn't even come, the dude was ready. He jumped down to his knees a couple times in this fight, kind of looked sloppy, but he was just anticipating that double coming. The problem was in the second round, he was able to get taken down because he basically kicked Derek Elkins, you know, in the groin. And it was a deep kick, and Derek was able to get a takedown off it. And he, he basically ate the groin kick to get him down. And what happened was, in a scramble where Johnson was that's working That's some gangster his shit, by the way. Not to cut you off. That's some gangster shit right there. Like, you kick me in the balls, doesn't matter. We're in the position. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and uh, Paul Felder, to his credit, you know, called it in the booth saying, like, that was definitely a low blow, but he's not going to give that up because he's in a better position now than he would be if he took the penalty. But ultimately what it was, you know, uh, Michael Johnson, he was he worked his way back up from half guard to get in a sprawl position. And Derek Elkins was just, you know, his wrestling acclimate was just that much better against Johnson, who's a really good wrestler. Once he got in that position, he immediately took his back. And that's where we've kind of seen Johnson. I don't even know if it's so much the front runner, but we see when things don't go his way he kind of mentally makes these small mistakes and with a guy like Derek Elkins who is really just on his p's and q's and a guy that you know one of his analysis is that this guy can take a lot of punishment and it doesn't doesn't rattle him like it does with Michael Johnson once he's able to get the back he worked the choke out and he finally got it I didn't know that he had made 20 submissions attempts before this and didn't get it but I feel clearly at that point when he was able to get the triangle on Michael Johnson was working the hands it was just a matter of time because I and I hate to throw this on any fighter because it's an extremely tough sport and the mentality of getting punched in the face and taken down and tired and beat up and to still just have that belief in yourself and to mentally still be, a, you know, just aware enough to kind of defend yourself is extremely tough. But it just seems like sometimes he mentally breaks and it seems like when he got his back, he was fighting the hands. He was trying to do what he was told. But Derek Elkins, you know, was just better trained. And I think mentally was a lot stronger and just he, he knew when he had that back that the end was coming and he was able to secure it. So, you know, good on him. And uh, not to just ramble on too long, but we were talking about where we're placing featherweight fighters after this fight. Uh, I think Paul and the new guy, Bobby, did you catch this new guy's name? The commentator? I didn't think he was Bra awful. Uh, he, Brandon, I, he was on another card also. Brandon, okay. I want to say Fitzpatrick or something. Yeah, yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think he's, he's called himself like the Irish dragon or something, which is like weird. Or maybe that's that was Paul, Paul Felder. That, that's that's Paul, Paul Felder's Felder. name. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, he basically said, you know, uh, Derek Elkins climbing the list, him and Brian Ortega, who I think was in, in attendance, would be an interesting matchup. And I, I kind of agree. I think stylistically those match up really well. And I think, it, I, but ultimately I think it would really be a good fight for Brian Ortega because you know, Elkins is going to want to take him to the ground and that's exactly where Brian wants it. So I think stylistically those two would match up really interestingly and they're both climbing the ranks. It kind of makes a lot of sense. Um, Jeremy Stevens having that big win. I don't, again, someone who's kind of inconsistent. I don't know if just getting the two wins kind of pushes him right to the forefront, even though I think beating Gilbert, and then Duho is pretty good. I mean, you beat a former champion and, you know, a hot prospect. But I kind of like that Elkins and Ortega fight. But there's a couple things they can do with featherweight. And I feel like what's kind of tough with Jeremy is that he's been in this division for a while. He's fought a lot of these guys. What matchup do you make with him that's fresh? Because he's fought Frankie. 
He's fought Max. He's fought a lot of these guys already. I don't really know where you place him, but I kind of like that Derek Brian Ortega. Just because stylistically, I'd like to see these two grapple and see who comes out on top. That's uh, that's uh, Darren Elkins and Brian Ortega would be a crackerjack of a grappling match. Though fuck, man, everybody gets everybody gets tapped out by T City. That's how that's how life how life treats you, man. That's how it rolls. Um, all right. Um, some news quickly. You mentioned commentating. I forgot to mention this, but I'm excited for this. Um, cause, uh, Jimmy Smith has joined the Ultimate Fighting Championship as a color commentator. He's gonna make his debut on, the, he's not gonna call UFC 220, but he's gonna be in the studio on the, one of the, de on the desk there. I like Jimmy a lot. Um, I've, when I watch Bellator now, I always appreciated Jimmy for not bullshitting me. Like, he doesn't try to lie to me, like, this fight is good if it sucks. Like, he'll, and like, he'll, like, I remember, like, when drunk Mike Tyson was at his desk, he was live tweeting the whole thing. And not just like the shit like that. But like he's very good at his job. He he analyzes well. He doesn't get. I don't feel he's pushing a narrative a lot of times. I just think he's like it doesn't matter who Belter wants to push. He'll be like, oh, this guy's losing. He is losing this fight. Um, and I think he's gonna do a great job. I um became a fan of the dude when he was on Fight Quest. That if it's still on Netflix, you can watch Jimmy Smith try a bunch of martial arts. But as Marcus has pointed out to me multiple times, he's the one who's always hurt. He never actually gets to train anything. He gets hurt on day one in any martial art. Um, taking his place in Bellator looks like it's going to be a combination of Chael Sonnen and Frank Mir. I think Frank Mir does a good job. Chael just kind of does it. So, I don't know. I thought I would have kept Jimmy Smith if I was them. I think he's very good at this at his job. So essentially traded Goldberg so for Smith, huh? That was that's essentially what this deal turned it out. It kind of worked out that way. Like yeah. It. Well, it seems like they also have Moro sometimes, and I think Moro's job is to show up on like the bigger ones because Moro doesn't work for WWE. Moro just kind of works the NXT tapings, and he'll also work when they have like a a takeover, which is like their big events. So I don't think they got one of those. I think they are a couple a couple weeks away from one of those. So maybe Moro's on the call this weekend. So we'll see. I thought I thought it was weird because Jimmy ultimately, I mean, it made more sense when you mentioned he's not going to be like in the booth. He'll just be in the studio that kind of. But it's like UFC's kind of got a deep well of dudes that do color and a lot of them are fighters. And I mean, I nothing against Jimmy Smith. Like you, Bobby, I think he, he is pretty good at this. Um, I think he's a he's a good color commentator. But for my money, I kind of like giving fighters the shot to kind of dwell into that because i mean they're the ones giving their body to the sport and you know putting the brain cells up there to get smashed around for entertainment and if some of them can make the the safe transition into sing behind the desk like kenny florian or uh, uh well they have a lot of guys they, they have, have a lot, lot of guys the desk. and the desk is a lot of guys the commentator booth i seem i think they're like let's go through it they got this fist on play-by-play -play, they got and i felt bad for him because i was like who's this guy he ain't gonna be around too long no he's done a few so i think they signed him for they have him doing it they have um anik doing it i think uh what's the english cat i forgot his john john gooden is doing play-by-play -play. and i think they're gonna have they have todd grisham do it too so they have like four play-by-play -play guys in terms of guys who do color, they got Dominic, they got DC, they got Joe, they got Jimmy Smith, um, they got Paul Felder, Hardy, and they got Dan Hardy. So I think it's like, I mean, DC and Dominic, it's like, how much more, I mean, how much longer are both of them going to fight? It's kind of like, and Dominic is so good at, uh, Dominic is the best, in my opinion, at this, period. Dominic is so smart at, when he talks about this shit. It's amazing to me. Um, I see your point, though, but 
I mean, I'm not against the three man booth if they can find the play find the play by play guy more stuff to do than just to like yell corn nuts. You know, that's me at least. I don't know. They haven't they haven't point. meshed that kind of three man booth, and it's I think it's tough because I think a lot of times it's get the advertisement out. But DC and Cruz are in the middle of some analysis, so I just got to come well, in think, and say... Honestly, every three. sport, there's no sport, I feel, that handles the three-man booth that well. It's just tough. Even, like, football and the, stuff, I always felt like they did all right. I don't think they do. I don't think they do. Honestly, like, with, like... Because fundamentally, in every one of these, Steph, it's one guy's telling us what's happening, and the other guy's telling us why it's happening. Um, and I'll tell you a place where I hate it is in uh, basketball. I constantly hear it where it's Mark Jackson and uh, Jeff Van Gundy. You know what the third guy exists to do? To go on rants about things that make them unhappy in general, which may or may not be topical to the subject at hand. They just end up on a rant, and this is everything I'm cranky about. Like, that always happens in these damn You get a real old man yelling at a cloud situation a lot of times, you're saying. More or less. Yeah, um... I think boxing does it okay because sometimes the third guy will basically not even be there, but they'll be like the judge guy, right? Like, oh, let, yeah, let's go to that guy. Tony sh- Atlas he shuts with, the with fuck the up, and then they're they're like, well, who, who won that round? And then he talks for a minute, and then he fucks off for fucks three off. more yeah. minutes. <laughs> and I think that's the only reason why it works is because you have a designated time for this guy to speak for thirty seconds, and then he's out. And I think when they're kind of just free flowing, and I think I think part of the real problem, I mean, really, honestly, the problem that we're all having is just that like. At some point in the fight, they have to throw this stupid ad in there, and that's what fuck. That's what fucks everything up because now Anik has to. In no, there's no real easy way to cut from. Oh, this guy's really utilizing leg kicks to Assassin's Creed Origins comes out in two weeks. Like that's not. There's no transition. Yeah, man, I think we, we make we that just, makes a lot of sense. Man, come on, man. Sell the ad. Sell one guy. The ad time should be one one thing sponsors an entire fight. Fuckers like, don't sponsor different rounds. In between the like right before the round starting or something, when they're just staring at each other tiredly, maybe that's a good time to be like, you know what, this is brought to you by, or you know what, better for me, just don't. You have fucking don't give ads. Me the fucking tagline. They're all over the octagon. That's their. That's what you're getting revenue for. These guys don't have to do shoutouts. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's pick some fucking fights, guys. Um, first off, I thought we're just gonna be picking UFC 220, and then we looked at the UFC 220 main card. And it is bullshit. Um, I feel it's they're like a really John Jones abu- card. Well, we don't need any re- fights on this thing. I feel they're abusing the fact that this uh, this folk hero status we've created for uh, Nganu to some degree. I mean, Nganu to the majority of it. A small amount to Vulcan Ozdemir. No time. No time's fun for like two percent of the people. Um, but we're just like they like they hot shotted this fight to make it happen fast because Nganu just fought last month. Um, granted, he didn't take a sh- punch, so that's why. But they just kind of threw this thing together because it is thin on a level that's a joke almost. Uh, that third fight, Shern- Shane Burgos. Like, who the fuck is Shane Burgos? He's the only one with the Wikipedia page here out of these two guys. I mean, he's th- he's 3-0 you know, in the UFC, and I don't remember any of these fucking fights. Is CF- Someone help me out. Is CFFC in this country... I have no idea. I mean, when it comes down to this is clearly, I mean, like Stefan mentioned, completely top heavy. These cards happen every now and then. It's gross. 
because what sucks is like you have such a headliner here with Stipe and Nagano and uh, DC in no time that I mean two fights on were in a hundred percent for both those ones and like, and, and, and that's kind of thing is like they know it so it's like we're not gonna put any more star power we kind of spread those guys out to the other cards surrounding this one we know we got your money with these two fights so here's something and it, it's it's a little you know it leaves a bad taste in your mouth because like I'm gonna end up paying to watch a couple fights that I'd really rather not. You know, but I want to see these heavyweight and light heavyweight fight enough that, yeah, I'm going to still pluck down the money for it. And it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. It's kind of shitty, but yeah. ultimately, so, still, you still get those fights you want to see, but it's just like, there's nothing around it. It's very well, boxing. So we're going to, well, you know, so in, we're a, gonna, in a weird way, it's kind of nice every so often that all you really have to worry about for this card are the last two fights. How is that is nice? When the pay-per-view is the same price, Mike. When the pay-per-view is the same price, is it nice that three of those fights come? Okay, of folks. Let's let me tell you what's gonna happen with our picks and what we're doing at Bobby's house this weekend. At Bobby's house this weekend, we're gonna have a second TV where we're gonna be watching Bellator. And there's gonna be times where I'm gonna be watching Bellator instead of the UFC, and I, by sometimes I mean the first three fucking fights. Um we're gonna pick Stipe and Ganu and DC Ozdemir. We're also gonna pick Thomas Almeida and Rob Font. We're all gonna also gonna pick a couple of these Bellator fights. Because when we get to that card, you're going to see why. This is an a excellent fight card for Bellator, quite frankly. Um, I, I'm i all in. This is a great card. So let's pick the main event. Um, Mike, before you glaze over, because, folks, it's a little late where Mike is. And I made him wait another half an hour dealing with some work stuff. So, Mike, um, Stipe, Miocic, Francis, and Ganu, step. Give me the betting line, please. Um, on average, we got about minus 185 with Mr. Francis, the Predator, and Ganu as the favorite over the all... defending champion, Stipe Miocic, at plus 170. Yeah, I think that line is moving towards Nganu. I think it was around minus 150 a little bit earlier, so money's coming in on Nganu. Mike, we know about Francis Nganu. Francis Nganu will grown man your ass whenever he fucking feels like it. He will pull you in a Kimura just right now while you're standing just because he wants to. He will hit you as hard as any human's ever been hit in the octagon. He's 11 and 1. He's only been doing this shit for three years. Um, Stipe Miocic is trying to break the record, which nobody can break, which would be to have three title defenses of this fucking cursed championship title. Um, but he's the man. And while he gets hit in every fight, he gets up and then he puts a motherfucker away. He doesn't just win, he puts motherfuckers away. Um, I, uh, the last time Stipe went to decision, Marcus, do you have that by chance? Last time he went to decision was against JDS oh, back in, uh, 2014 in December. Yeah, that was a fucking, you know, war of attrition right there. Both those guys left everything in the octagon. Uh, Mike, I'm gonna have you lead this off, brother. What do you think? Are you, are we going big black and jacked? Are you going to go with that? <laughs> you know, as great as the Nganu hype train is. I I love Nganu. I just rewatched the uh, the fight he had against Alistair, and I was shocked to see just how far back Alistair's head went. Again, I, I had forgotten just how vicious of an uppercut it was. But as great as Nganu's power is, on some level, I have to discount it a bit, just because at heavyweight. Everyone has a lot of power, and anyone can end any fight at any given moment. So if we're thinking about it in that aspect, Stipe has the better tools, at least at what we've seen everywhere, besides yep. in the power in this fight. If he wants, he can likely take this to the ground. If if 
if that's where he needs to be. He's probably not going to be very stupid and try to bang with with Nganu. So, with all that being said, as much as I would love Nganu to be champion because it would be pretty cool, and I like Stipe, but he's a bit of a boring champion. No, it's a hater. This, to me, this is an easy decision. Stipe is likely going to win a very thought out and methodical decision. No, not decision. He's going to TKO him. He's probably going to TKO him in the third round. A motherfucker is getting put away. You think he's getting to the third? Okay. Let's also remember, even though Nganu has a very impressive finishing streak, Stipe's no joke himself. He's got five KOs or TKOs in a row as well. Yeah, and uh, Bill calling Stipe boring is a little bit uncalled for because it's it's fight week time, man. That means Stipe's time to shine on Embedded. Stipe is going to call his wife, and then right before he's done talking to her, he's going to say, oh, yeah, one more thing, and then he's going to hang up just to fuck with her. That's Stipe jokes. Also, at some point, Stipe is going to end up in the hot tub, and he's going to pee, and he's going to say, I just peed. This is the entertainment you get with Stipe Miocic leading up to a fight. Um, Stefan. thing every time, huh, Bobby? He's, he likes to recreate his past episodes. That's his, I've seen him do that fucking thing with his wife like four different embeddings now. She gets more and more annoyed every time. Um, Steve, uh, Stefan, what do you got here, brother? Wow, I honestly thought I was going to be alone in taking Stipe. Uh, I I thought this was going to be a full Francis and Ganu ahead. Um, like I I kind of agreed with a lot of what Mike said. I think wrestling is going to come into play here. Um, but because Mike took Stipe, fuck it, I'm going to go. I'm going to do a complete 180 <laughs> train, baby. Francis and Ngannou. See that uh, the countdown footage of him just running in the mountains in like the giant like desert field. Like where the fuck is this guy? They put him down in the middle in, in like the Serengeti, in, like a helicopter, just to see this man run. And I was like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, uh, it's fun. Francis Ngannou as a champion. Wow, Dana, I mean, uh, Dana White is jizzing all over himself at the prospect of that, which is why it's not going to happen. By the way. Is we like, can't have nice things in MMA. We don't get to have nice things. This is one of those obvious eggs in a basket situations. You know, Stipe's right. Marketing-wise, they want Nganu to be the champion just because there's just a lot more marketing opportunity with him. He's a bigger personality. Like, when he showed up, like, wearing the traditional, like, a- African garb at the last, like, press fight thing, coming out looking like he's T'Challa the Black Panther with his black and gold, like, hat and, like, uh, I don't know the name of the uh, garb, so I don't even want to bother, but, like, fucking looked like African royalty. He, he It was mm-hmm. awesome. Like, the guy, he's, he knows how to present himself. Um, yeah, so I thought I would be alone taking Stipe, but since I'm not, then fuck it. I just want this damn hype, hype train now. I feel I could summarize Stefan's opinion, and mine here, with the tagline the X-Files gave us back in 1993. I want to believe. Oh, boy. I do. I, 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 want I, I want to believe, guys. I am. Look, Francis Ngannou is that motherfucker. All right? I am convinced that he will one day be champion because I don't think you can deny this level. He's He's been doing this three years. He's already this good. I mean, fuck. It's heavyweight. Uh, and I would. Uh, Stipe is more well-rounded. Stipe's got better technique. Stipe's a great wrestler. Stipe got one of those golden gloves that Corey's dad has, the boys like to point out. Stipe is well-credentialed, but Stipe gets hit in every fight. You can't find me a fight, 
even the ones he wins, where Stipe didn't get hit hard. And I don't think you can play that game with Ngannou. It's a real possibility he just takes him down, but fuck it. I want to believe. I got uh, Francis Ngannou, your new UFC heavyweight champion. Marcus? Uh, yeah, um, I, I'm also going with uh, Nagano, and I feel like maybe there's... I feel like what he doesn't get a lot of credit for is that he is an ex- inc- incredibly intelligent fighter that it doesn't always come off that way. I, th- I think a lot of people can look at those highlights and just be like, man, look how big and muscular this guy is. He's just a berserker. He just... But really, when you really look at him fight and you really analyze him fighting, like this guy is thinking on a very smart level about what's going on and the opportunities that present himself and he sees it and he snaps just like that. And that's that's the mark of a great fighter because there's only split seconds where guys leave themselves open. When Alistar ducks his head down the same way a couple of times, he picks up on those little reads and he capitalizes on them. Just like, and, and that's, it's part of the do with his genetics and his, how big and muscular he is, but it, it, it's what helps him finish his fights. And when he, when he fought against Anthony Hamilton and they were clinched up and he, he snapped that Kimura, he exploded instantly and he got it. And that's what he does so well that a lot of other guys, they, you see those holes and sometimes they have to see them multiple times and they have to be in the right position. But Nagano is always facing his opponent in such a way, in such a manner that he's always he's always ready to attack and he's just waiting for that moment where you slip up. Now, that all being said, I think Nagano has a great shot of finishing this fight, but I think a lot of the points that Mike brought up and a lot of things that we haven't seen Nagano faced against could be de- determining factors and if he wins or loses here because we haven't seen Nagano taken down. We haven't seen how he does on his back. We haven't seen him fight adversity where he gets hurt and we have to see that heart. Does he have those skills? We, we don't really know. Those are questions that we don't have answers to, and maybe we'll see them in this fight. But one thing that we do know that Francis does have right now, besides just the genetics and I think the incredible skill and just you know the, the twitch reflexes that he uses, he's also at this point built an aura. And that's an, another important thing with fighters is this mentality that they bring around themselves that may or may not be true, that can completely be exposed. But right now he has that aura, and we've seen guys with these aura. And they're extremely difficult to take down. Fedor had that aura. Conor McGregor had that aura. It's this aura that this guy is something incredible. He has abilities that we don't usually see, and he could beat just about anybody at this point. I think. I think even you know even Mike. We, and I think it's a tough fight to pick. You know that Nagano can win this fight because he has all that skill, and at this point, he has that aura of just the unbeatable. Hasn't been challenged. Hasn't been hurt. And um, I feel like that that is a tough thing to beat. But we obviously, all the guys that I mentioned that have auras, we've seen them crack too, right? We saw Fedor lose to Verdum. We saw Connor lose to Nate. The aura isn't the only thing that can win or lose a fight, but it brings in a mentality against the other opponent that I think weighs on them. And usually the champion holds that aura, right? The champion's the guy that you're trying to beat. He's the baddest man on the planet. But right now, Francis has that aura because he hasn't just been knocking guys out, much like Stipe has as well, but he's been doing it in devastating fashion with that moment split reflex. Whereas Stipe, he's gotten some great punches on guys. He knocked out uh, you know, Alistair Overeem, but you saw that stuff coming. You saw Verdum overextending. You saw uh, JDS just not look quite as right. And you saw Alistair give too much in that choke and then mentally break himself. We haven't seen that stuff in Francis. He definitely could. And I think maybe Stipe is the man to test him. But right now I like that aura. I like the power he has. He has a lot of things going for him. As do you the get Stipe, the impression, Marcus? Do you get the impression, Marcus, that Stipe doesn't give a fuck about Francis's aura? Not like, I mean, it may not matter. I almost got the, the opposite. And maybe that, like, not that he cares about he seems it. seems angry to me. 
but Bobby, he knows it. He feels it. He feels the aura around him. He feels the UFC gathering around him. He feels the fan base gathering. He feels the high, you know, all this stuff. I, I feel like you're right, Bobby. Like he's not letting it mentally break him. He's not showing that's affecting him. He's, but, he honestly seems angry to me. That's my impression of it. I mean, and, and, angry. And, and anger is another reaction to it, right? He's still reacting to it because I feel right now he has that aura. And whether he can break it or not, who knows? I mean, he definitely can't. I mean, Stipe has the skill set if he can utilize it well. Can, I mean, I'll, I'm going to be extremely intrigued if Stipe gets this guy down in the first round. And I want to see what Nugano has, if he's able to survive being on his back, what he has in that second round. How does he look after adversity? Does he have that stamina to, to get beat down and to come back and believe in himself? We haven't seen that stuff. I, I think he does have those, those aspects. We haven't seen him tested. And that's the things I really hope. I mean, if Nugano goes out there and just blasts Stipe with his lead left hook, like we, we know that's his kill shot. If he just blasts him and wins, we don't learn much about the fighter, right? But I would love to see Stipe tag. That would still him. be pretty cool, though. It would be awesome, it, but uh -huh. it would it would not it would not build a more better understanding of what this guy has as a true fighter. We just know that if you can't stop this guy early, he'll fucking run you over. But I, I want to see him, and this is what I want to see of any great fighter, much like a Mighty Mouse and a lot of and Conor McGregor. I want to see them tested. I want to see. Where the, where's their heart? Where's their mentality when they've been beaten down, taken down, and the fight's not going their way? Do they have the Tony Ferguson-like mentality where it's like, I'm not going to lose. You can beat me four I rounds. Mean, I'm still coming in that fifth. I want to see if Nagano has that because if he has that mentality as well, like you said, Bobby, I, I think regardless, win, lose, or draw here uh, in a heavyweight division, which is already thinning out, this guy's a star. And as long as he wants to be, he'll stick around. And I think at one point, I agree with you, he's going to get that belt sooner or later, whether it's this fight or three fights down the line. I think he will capture the title at one point. But I'm really interested to see what more this guy has because everything we've seen is just him smoking guys. And I well, want to yeah, see I mean, when you're he talking gets about the, I mean, I mean, always, I mean, I always tell you guys, that's my favorite, my favorite thing. We were talking about greatness. When John Jones went out there and he like had nothing and he found a way against Alexander Gustafson, that was some fucking like, that is my favorite John Jones fight, straight up. Yeah. I mean, it's also it, the best one, but like, that's my favorite performance of his when I know he didn't train. He straight up didn't train. And sure, he put himself in that circumstance, but the motherfucker had nothing. And he came back and won. And I know that's what you want to see. I don't know if this is going to get that to him. Yeah, and, just, and, just, to, and just to tie it up, I think Stipe is is the guy to test him. I think it, it, him or Kane, I feel like have the best rounded set that they could potentially put this guy in some pressure. And I don't, I, I don't look at Mike's pick or Stefan leaning towards Stipe and being like, Oh, that's a foolish mistake. I think that's, that's smart. Th that guy's well-rounded. He might be he, the heavyweight goat. He, he, he might be he the very well goat. could be, you know, if he beats Nagano and holds on, I mean that in and of itself, breaking that, that streak will mean a lot, but I, I think it's, it's, it, that's what makes the fight so intriguing, right? Like I think both these guys have a good shot. I just you you don't get these auras right. They don't come around very often, so it's nice to bask in it. And, and like you guys said, you want to believe, right? You want to believe that the hype is real. That this guy could really be that good. Stipe is going to test him, and I think we're going to have a much better, uh, clearer vision of if, if he lives up to that or not when it, when uh, this fight's over. Um, co-main event: Daniel Cormier, Vulcan Ozdemir. No time, if you will. Points to that fake watch, that non-existent watch, because he has no time. Ozdemir, folks, if you don't know, um, kind of just meteoric rise in the UFC. Has had three UFC fights. Decision to OSP. Knocked out Serkinov in 28 seconds. Knocked out Manawan in 42 seconds. Pretty much took out the bottom half of that top five in like five months. From February to July. Um, that's all fine and good and all, uh, Steph. But... Um, DC, is the uh, he's the biggest favorite on the card at DC, minus DC, DC is... 
honestly, Rumble Johnson didn't knock out DC. That's what I'm going with. And I don't see this kid's gonna end up on his ass. He's gonna get choked. I, I this is all fun and all, but I have not seen enough of this guy to like convince me that like short of some miracle like get, get a shot on DC, which hell DC's been hit a few times. He just got knocked out for the first time, but no. No, 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 no. I got DC. He's going to choke this kid out. What do you think, Steph? Uh, I got DC, too. I can't really go against such a huge favorite here. And um, I've always said, for all we know, Daniel Cormier is the second greatest fighter of all time, being that John be. Jones is the greatest um, in my eyes. Um, but that said, I will give the caveat. Um, I'm picking DC, but I'm nervous. That head kick he ate by John Jones, that is a quality of life changer is what that head kick was. That Very wasn't, uh, that wasn't, uh, uh, you know, that was a bad, the mental shookness that came, the tears that happened, the concussed post fight, you know, Daniel Cormier, you hear him now. He throws out the big R retirement word. Um, his mindset is different. And that's one of those shots where if he were to lose, you can pinpoint that moment. This is when it changed. This is when it dropped. So I'm picking DC because I just don't have enough, on Vulcan to really quite buy him into him as a contender yet, but um, I am nervous for it because uh, you know it's, it's it's like the war with uh, the first time we saw uh, I'm sorry um, Roy McDonald after the Lawler fight. You know you wonder about a guy after something like that happens, and um, it different guys. That's all fair, man. But um, so DC, yes, but I am nervous. Mike, what do you think, brother? I'm not worried at all for DC. I agree that he's likely the, the second greatest light heavyweight uh, to fight on this earth. And the second greatest light heavyweight, yeah, he was he was just shredded after the fight. But I totally believe him, um, you know, when now when he talks that he says that, you know, he's going to run through this guy and that he completely believes in himself. So I don't think there's going to be any hangover from the devastating knockout that John Jones laid on him. And with no threat of any real mental breakdown, at least in my head, when it comes to this fight, yeah, I mean, DC can is likely going to be able to do whatever he wants. I mean, Rumble. I mean, the John Jones knockout. He's going to suplex this motherfucker, right? I mean, he's going to suplex this motherfucker. We've seen, we've seen him take extremely heavy shots before. the The thing that knocked him out was him getting shinned right right on his head. I I don't know if Ozemir has the you know the capability to do that, so he's gonna drop this guy right on his head. Um, look, look, look! This this fight was supposed to be Gustafson Cormier too, and Gustafson needed surgery, so I look forward to that fight happening one day too, because Gustafson knows how to put on an entertaining title fight. Marcus, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm running out with uh, DC as well. I think, uh, you know. Ozdemir has some of the same qualities that Naganu has. He just hasn't been around long enough. We haven't seen him tested long enough. And he doesn't have those big marquee names where we can kind of rest assured that this guy can knock out anybody in the first, you know, couple minutes. We, we've seen him do it. The guy is completely willing to exchange. And when people engage in that, he has a better chance than not than knocking them completely out. I think Daniel's a little too smart for that. I mean, We've obviously seen him fight really good strikers in, in John Jones and in Anderson Silva and Anthony Johnson and in Govsason and be able to negate the danger and get in close and rough them up in the clinch. And that's really what he does well. I mean, there's definitely some caveats that you guys mentioned. Um, him coming back from his first devastating knockout, him getting a little up there in age. Um, 
those X factors are enough for me to kind of sway me against DC. I, I, th- I think he has a good shot of breaking the distance, taking this guy down and wearing him out. And that's the thing we haven't seen with, with Ozdemir, right? Like how, how does he handle getting wrestled on and having a, you know, a strong guy like Cormier pick you up and slam you down and punch you the whole time you're moving. Or even when you're in the clinch, he's dirty boxing you because I think that's really where DC does a lot of his best work is in the clinch in the takedown transitions and then on the ground. So Ozdemir, he knows what he has to do. He has to let those hands go early in hopes that he can catch DC. And we've seen DC get caught, um, but we've also seen him get hurt and come back. Um, but who knows? Maybe no Tom has, has enough power to put him away, especially after, you know, the the cobwebs have been shook from DC with that big head kick from John Jones. So I think it's an extremely intriguing matchup. Um, but I think it's a little early for Ozdemir, and I think DC just has, you know, the skill set that you're more comfortable leaning on when, you know, the, the guy's best shot is going to be in that first minute before DC gets his arms around him. Um, all right, we're not talking about whatever the fuck this third fight is or the John Vellante fight, though um, this is a pro tip coming to you from both me and Stefan, where if you're doing DraftKings, you should take uh, John Vellante and the guy John Vellante's fighting. Because John Vellante lands a lot of strikes, but Stefan, John Vellante gets hit a fuckload, right? Oh, he gets knocked out at the end. That's, yeah. uh, that's, that's the end of the story. You're, you're going to get a good, like, 45 points, though, out of, like, minimum out of John Vellante. Because he's going to win the round or two, just with lazy strikes. I mean, I normally, in the in, in beginning of DraftKings, I normally wouldn't pick two guys in the same fight, but I don't know so many fighters on this card. It'd be such a weird coin flip to try to put betting on any of this. You know what? Don't do DraftKings, guys. Not up. Go to a gambling website. Pick a winner. Um, all right. Uh, we're not. We're going to talk about this Almeida and Rob Bond fight, which I imagine is going to take us all of four minutes tops. Um, we got Rob Bond, who um, is coming off of a loss to Pedro Munoz. Had won two of his, his two previous fights. This guy gets in the cage uh, a lot of time. I mean, it's probably going to be a. It's going to be a. It's going to be a finish. Um, Thomas Almeida, somebody that uh, we're all big fans of. Um, Coming off, uh, he's lost two of three. His last fight, he lost a straight-up stand-up fight. Three rounds of stand-up fighting with Jimmy Rivera. Uh, made us pump the brakes a little bit on this kid. Um, ah, Almeida's minus 125, right, Steph? I was looking earlier. Uh, Yeah, minus 125, plus 105. It's a near coin flip. I mean, Rothbond's a really good fighter. Um, They're both pretty young, too, if I'm not mistaken. Right, guys? Somebody got that? I know Almeida's young, but Font's not... Let me know. Anybody got Font's age? Almeida is 26 and Font is 30. Yeah, okay. Um, I was getting all ready to pick Font because I didn't think he'd lost. I thought he was coming off of a bit of a streak here. I'm still going to go with Almeida. Um, I still think he puts you away if you're not elite, and I'm not you know, ready to say that about Rob Font coming off a loss to Pedro Munoz. So I got Thomas Almeida. Uh, Mark? Uh, yeah, I, I'm also going with Almeida. Um, like you mentioned, and the line reflects um, a really tough fight. I, I just like the well-roundedness of Almeida. And when you look at the two guys he lost to, former champion Cody and then Jimmy Rivera, who I think, you know, you could look at that fight and be like, oh, you know, maybe Thomas wasn't as good as we thought. But for me, it was really like Jimmy Rivera is a lot better than I was giving him credit to. Yeah, so, he's so good. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really, I think Thomas Almeida still has, you know, a lot to show. And, and I think his skill set's a little sharper than Rob Font. Um, it is a tough fight to pick, though, but I just feel more comfortable with Thomas and his skill set. Um, Stefan, what do you think, man? Um, I think I might be alone on this one. Um, and it's not to take away from him as a prospect, but uh, I'm taking Rob Font. 
Um, I, I always have a special place in my heart for guys who won me money. And uh, he was part of my parlay, par- parlay when he uh, cleaned George's Roop, George Roop's clock uh, in White oh, yeah. Machida a few years back. Um, and the one thing I know about Rob Font is he throws really hard. And I think the hole we've seen in Almeida's game, he's prone to getting hit. He didn't lose to Brad Pickett, but he nearly lost to Brad Pickett, you know. So um, Font packs a lot of power. And uh, Almeida, he still has a lot of holes he needs to clean up in his striking defense. So um, I'm not jumping off of him as a prospect because, like you guys said, he, he he's lost to two of the best in this division. But um, I like Font for the slight upset here. Mike, what do you think? He's lost to two of the best. And his other four wins before uh, b- during that stretch, they were all performance of the Knights. Uh, I'm not ready to jump off the Thomas Almeida bandwagon. Um, before he fought Cody Garbrandt, that was a battle of two undefeateds. And oh yeah, and I picked Cody alone. I'm, not, I'm never forgetting that one. I got that shit right. <laughs> well, Remember, I didn't pick the- people who I didn't like last year, Bobby. Whether I thought out of, out of the rest of the world, they picked Almeida. Uh, yeah, he still has a lot of skills. I think he still has a, a, a bright future ahead of him. And Font hits pretty hard, but you know, someone who's 26 and growing with each fight, you gotta assume that he'll shore up some of the holes in his game. Um. All right. Yeah. The rest of this card, not living. Uh, we all picked, right? I didn't miss anybody. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, we got them all. Okay. So the rest of this card isn't good. Um. At all. But if you still own Fight Pass, not telling you to lean into a Glyson T-Bow fight, but it's his first fight in two years. But the guy he's fighting is a f- fucking 26-year-old Dagestani who's 14-1. and one. Um, So if you were looking to see my man get his ass whooped, if you want to see Glyson T-Bow get his ass whooped, this might be the fight that happens. I still two have years Fight off Pass, against- and I want to see just how shriveled and small Glyson T-Bow is now that he's post-Susada. You guys got Hercules in his name. He had no choice. Um, yeah, this card is crap. So uh, this Bellator card coming to you from the forum in Inglewood, which forum, the forum at this point, Stefan, I think is a fair assessment is that it's a giant piece of shit. Um, always, whenever I hear anything takes place there, I'm always surprised that thing wasn't torn down. I My working theory is, I know the UFC ran the forum because the people who own the forum also own Madison Square Garden. So I think Bellator did a show at Madison Square Garden, didn't they? Didn't Chael face Vanderlei there? So that might this might have been the uh, you had to, you had to buy two, you know, to get the garden type thing. So um, this card is really good though. So um, opening the main card, Aaron Pico versus Shane Crutchen. Doesn't matter who Aaron Pico's fighting. You're here to see Aaron Pico. This is your prospect fight. Um, next fight, 500 have, by the way, fighter, Bobby. You're trying to sell me on a 500 fighter. Woo, I'm excited. Bobby. I am more excited in this Aaron Pico fight Aaron than I am. Go for all of us. No, we're not picking that fight, man. Oh, okay. That's what, I, I'm, that's what it sounded like. You did, clearly didn't read the message I sent out earlier today. Well, that's uh, why do, I had the hint of surprise because it sounded like you were picking a fight that you said we were no. going to pick. Uh, Georgie Karakanian, who was, I believe he held somebody's title. Uh, World Series of Fighting. That was what it was. Georgie Karakanian is taking on Henry Corrales. Uh, tough matchup right there. Um, and then, now that I fucking lost this goddamn thing. Oh, Michael Chandler versus Goiti Yam- uh, Yamauchi. I can't say the kid's name. Yamauchi. Uh, Goiti Yamauchi. That's not, there's no G. Yamauchi. 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 
um, a Japanese-born Brazilian gentleman um, taking on Michael Chandler. He most recently choked out me and Mark's guy, um, Adam Piccolotti, quick. Uh, he's facing Michael Chandler. Winner of this fight's getting a title shot against Brent Primus. Um, don't know why Michael Chandler's just not getting the shot, considering he lost the fight because he broke his ankle. Um, these are the two fights we're picking, though. Um, Quentin Jackson, Chael Sonnen, part of the heavyweight tournament, kicking it off. And then Douglas Lima, Rory McDonald. Stefan, we got a betting line on Quentin Jackson versus Chael Sonnen. Pretty much a minus 150 Quentin, plus 150 Chael. Um, Marcus, I was talking to you about this fight earlier today where I said I needed to know what Chael's allowed to do. And I'm not just trying to be an asshole, but of all these guys in this tournament, there's one guy who's loud and proud about his steroid use, and that's Chael Sonnen. And that shit made him the number one contender to Mantle Anderson Wilbur Silva's title, and he almost beat that dude. Um... This is in California, so in theory, Chael's getting drug tested. The other side of that is I've been doing some like investigative work on Quentin Jackson's Instagram to figure out how fat he is and how much he cares. And it looks like he cares a little bit. Not a lot. Um, I was watching video of him training with David Loazu, who is old as shit, and it looked like Quentin couldn't get up. So that did inspire a lot of confidence. Marcus, didn't Quentin say, tell Chael... That if he takes him down, he's going to give him $10,000 every time. Yeah, I, I would recommend they they are Bellator is pumping some money into this one. They actually have some like behind the scenes or countdown to this event, which I, I watched the first episode. That was fairly entertaining. And they were on some radio show. Yeah, and he he bet Chael that every time he takes him down, he'll give him $10,000, which I think might be a foolish. Well, see, like, I honestly, Quentin's thinking worst case scenario, he gets taken down three times. And that's the whole fight. <laughs> that's because he may not get up. Um. I'm going to take Quentin, and literally it's because, man, Chael is not... Chael is really small. Like, Chael's too small for a light heavyweight. Um, And Quentin's going to show up at 230. It honestly looks like he cares enough to get in decent enough shape to beat Chael. I know this is a mistake. Yeah, you guys can tell me it's a mistake. I got I got Quentin. Marcus, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm on the other side. I just... It, it... And it's one of those things like this is like a close, tough fight to call, but it's not for the reasons you usually like. Right? It's like you're, like, you're banking on you're banking on how fat is Rampage, how much steroids is Chill going to take. You know, these aren't the aspects of breaking down a fight that you usually like to turn to. But I, I it's hard for me to see without having to cut weight at all. I just don't see the motivation in Quentin much. And he, he's he's been fighting at heavyweight for a couple of fights now. And he's won more of the fights than he's lost. Um, I, I do feel like oh, it's tough. I'm going with Chael. I feel, but, but Marcus, look, let's, Marcus, let's put this out there. What weight does Quentin Jackson have to show up over at for anybody who picked Quentin Jackson to be able to take their pick back before the fight? I mean, I don't know. Is it over two two thirty five? Okay, well, let me, let me ask you this, Bob. If because I, I think I brought this when we were talking about it. Who do I need to pick for this scenario where I I get the point for it? Where Chael wins but gets caught with steroids after? Well, we know that you're picking Chael because we we don't reverse that shit. Okay, so we don't reverse it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick Chael. Do you think that's fair? If Quentin shows up over 235 pounds, all muffin topped out there, are you able to reverse your? Pick? I mean, we make the rules, Bob. If you want to, if you want to have a weight limit. Well, on... I mean, I mean, like if I'm the only one who takes Quentin and I bail, I, I mean, I don't want to get a world of shit about it when my man shows up at 250. Okay, well, I, 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 I it's a heavyweight tournament, Bobby. Why do you want them to come at the light heavyweight limit so bad? Because he weighs, he's six foot tall. <laughs> that's, that's I think Bob, I want to yeah, weigh DC, it was fucking 5'10". What do you want, Bobby? Uh, uh, all right, no, Bobby. I'm, I'm willing to give you that. That the, 
that little out. 240, all right? My man shows up over 240. I have the right to change my pick. That's cool. all I'm saying. Bobby is taking Chael Sonnen because he all he's looking for is a back no, door right now. I'm taking I'm taking Quentin Jackson. Marcus, are you taking Chael? Yeah, I am. I don't I, feel great I, about I, it, but I'm doing it. No one feels great about it. Stefan, what do you got here? I would just like to say I feel a little disgusted and a little bit dirty that we are picking this fight at all because <laughs> do you oh, see I, the I'm UFC like, card? I, this, <laughs> this is just this is just picking d- disappointment A or picking disappointment B here. We are all losers in this scenario. Hey, look, this is Dana White's fault. We know that. All right, this is the UFC's yeah, I'm fault. I'm at least gonna pick the disgusting feeling that I like. I guess is rampage. Why the fuck not? <laughs> Chael Sonnen's a middleweight, and this guy shouldn't be fighting anymore. Like, oh, man. Like, this is why the field is a credible betting opponent line for this tournament. Like, the field is only, like, plus 700. It's not that ridiculous of odds that someone not participating is going to win this thing. I just remember... Uh, Can I pick I, the field in this fight, the- Bobby? Uh, we're gonna pick them. If we got, if we're picking for the tournament. Me and Stefan got the field. I want to put that out there. Yeah, because right they're gonna put one of their legitimate heavyweights in this. You're like, oh, that was, no, they should have done that. Fucking, uh, what's his name? What's the name of the kid from WWF? Um, Jack Swagger's winning this thing. All right, that's who's winning this thing somehow. Uh, I remember like it was like a month or two ago where uh, Quentin put it on Instagram a picture of him, a, a gif of him knocking out Vanderlei in UFC. And he said, every time Vanderlei posts a gif, a uh, video of me getting knocked out, I'm posting this this gif of him getting knocked out by me, <laughs> like Rampage, being petty as shit. Um, Mike, what do you got? Well, well, when you said that this was a mistake earlier, I wasn't sure if you were talking about your pick or just the fight in general. Mm. Could have gone either way. I also feel that you should get that, uh, you know, that out if Quinton comes in at 240 because I want that out as well because I want to pick <laughs> Quinton. If, if, two- he, if he comes in with no discernible sign of abs on him, I want to be able to bail. Okay, yeah, no, if, he looks at two- at, if he looks like Johnny Hendricks did at 170, I'm out. <laughs> okay. You know what? If when Quinton shows up 250, the three of us are having a little powwow, all right, to sort this out. This is depressing. When the this way, is depressing. When the way it's, when the way it's come in, we'll, one of us will send each the other one a picture, and we'll just say in or in or out. <laughs> God damn it, Quinton! Being your fan, this is depressing. Um, main event. Rory McDonald, Douglas Lima. We don't have a betting line yet on this stuff, do we? I hadn't. I didn't see one earlier. We don't have one. It doesn't matter what it is, Bobby. We're I mean, UFC look, marks. We're all taking Rory. Let's just be yeah. honest. Honestly, Rory look, uh, division to win belts, and this is step yeah. one. Um, man, Lima's good. I'm picking Rory McDonald. Let's not fucking trip here. But Lima's like really good. But Rory looked good enough choking Paul Daly out and doing whatever he wanted to him that I'm like. Rory's not totally broken from Robbie Lawler's knockout. So I'm going to go Rory. Steph, you got Rory? I think Rory can conceivably win any belt he could physically make the weight for in this company. Yeah, If if Rory McDonald is in his heavyweight tournament, are you taking Rory McDonald to win it? I like him more than either of the two guys we just picked. <laughs> That's the field right there. Rory McDonald versus Jack Swagger at heavyweight. What do you got? <laughs> Um, Marcus, what do you got yeah, here, nah, man? I already wrote all of us picked Rory, so I mean, what do we? Yeah, okay, we all pick Rory. Going late, we gotta wrap things up. Yeah, sorry guys. Um, all right. Um, Mike, of course, Rory. Yeah. Um, Lima's good, guys, but I we gotta 
I mean, we go. We just keep picking UFC guys, and then they lose to Bellator guys. I may That's actually this watch this Bellator fight. All right, let's do memoirs of a fight fan. Mike, you got something. You picked it this week. So I believe what you said was if we had to choose any discipline, any martial arts discipline to be the ma- a master at, right? Yeah. Um, it's like it's like it's uh, like we're in the matrix. We only get to put one of the kung fu chips in our in our brain. Which which, which yeah. one are you picking? It doesn't mean you're gonna fight or like if you you, have to, you can apply to like I'm gonna no. be if you're gonna be a fighter. You, you just get this. that skill set. You do with it whatever you, just, you in want. In life, you have downloaded this shit. Yeah. Are these ones um, specifically known to MMA or are we just talking period of our knowledge? Period, of right? in the we don't world? care, right, Mike? Oh, uh, who gives a fuck? Do whatever you want, Stefan. Like if you got, we can go creative in it. If you guys want me to start, for example, I would pick the Jean Claude Van Damme martial art style. Just because that shit is flashy. You don't even know the fucking name? <laughs> Whatever John Clark no, I think he did like, <laughs> I think he was kind of like Savat there. and some other shit. I can't, I don't totally know, but. Mike but, just wants to dance like Jean-Claude Van Damme. No, 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 like, right, Mike, <laughs> let, let's let's put some context in it. Is there a movie in which John Clan performed? Like, do you want Bloodsport? Do you want Kickboxer? Kickboxer. Right, do you want Time Cop? <laughs> he's got a he's got a second Mark, da, Dan you know Black Belt in well. You notice know for damn sure when he was John, what is it, Frank? When he was Frank Dukes, when he was Frank Dukes, and when he was uh, a kickboxer and uh, in well, in kickboxer. And I think in Street Fighter as well, and I think in Time Cop as well. What's the one constant in a Jean Claude Van Damme movie? <laughs> that split and that like ballerina like jumping kick. All right. See now I get why you said Ranger like that kick as well, and back in the day. I get why now you said Jean Claude Van Damme because you you don't want just all his moves. You want to be able to throw that flash kick too. You want that guile shit he's got on par. You 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 bust that out in a street fight or hell, you bust that out on a dance floor. Oh, you're you're the man. You're the all man. right. So I actually gave real thought to this, but okay, Marcus, go ahead. <laughs> I gotta think now. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my pick. I'm gonna keep it short. Just. I think me. I think I, I kind of know where Steph might be going on his. Just, just, just thinking. But uh, I'm going. You know, sticking to the roots with my Greek roots, and I'd pick a pancration, which is also kind of a cheap one because it's kind of just. It's basically old school MMA. MMA more yeah. Or okay. Less. Thank you. <laughs> but I, it was really pancration or like catch wrestling. Those, those are my faves. So yeah, I'll go with pancration. Keeping it, keeping it with roots. Um, Stefan. Well, Mike. All right. Mike went with a fun. Mark went kind of realistic. I'll, I'll I'll give you a little too. My fun one would be Jeet Kundo, just because I've always looked up to Bruce Lee. He's awesome. That's flashy style. He 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 incorporated grappling stuff early on. If I had to go realistic, the fucking discipline to learn is Krav Maga. It is uh, it is real hand to hand techniques. It is grappling. It is striking. It is disarming a man with a weapon. It is Israeli commandos teaching U.S. Green Berets how to fight. Uh, Krav Maga is a discipline that is actually applicable to real world situations. And if I wanted to be able to physically handle myself in some type of post-apocalyptic wasteland, those are the skills I need. But if I want to be flashy as shit, I want Bruce Lee's one inch punch. So I, uh, I, honestly, I, thought, I, thought I thought you were going Sambo, to fighting be honest. Sticks for Steph, so I was wrong. I do yeah, like I Eskrima. Say. I like daggers. I like axes. I like knives. That that would be a good weapons combat choice. Um, yeah, I thought you were, I thought it was gonna be Sambo for your choice, but I mean, okay. Um, I'll go. Um, I'll go uh, judo for the serious one. Folks wearing jackets seems like a real opportunity to throw motherfuckers on the ground. Seems real easy to throw people around. It's jackets. chilly where we live, and men got jackets. <laughs> he only gets men got jackets in the winter. 
Yo, but Bobby. <laughs> when it gets to the summer, we're in trouble. But, but yeah, I'm now here. Say, Bobby, I got, I got my. You're fucked if someone wants to get froggy with you on the beach. Well, here we go. Here's my fun one. It's not so much a style. It's just I need to learn the camel clutch because I will make you <laughs> humble, Baba. Ha, humble. Cheeky baby will make you humble. It is a move of our people. So you want to learn, like, we... Iranian wrestling with the weird boots that look like elf boots or something? No, no, no. I just want to <laughs> learn the camel clutch. clutch. I just need the camel clutch. I make you humble, Baba. I like. All right? I, like, I make I you like humble. I throw it in the Middle Eastern, Baba. Well, I mean, I, I, I went out there, Baba, and I was trying to tell you guys, man. My man, Shiki Baby, went out there and won the goddamn heavyweight title with the camel clutch. Uh, Bob Backlund's corner, throw in the towel. Bobby's next birthday, we all pitch in and get him these uh, little Iranian elf boots. No, I want the thing. I want the clubs. <laughs> I want those big. I want those big ass clubs. Sheik was always waving around that weigh like fifty pounds each that are impossible to lift. Ah, <laughs> uh, Sheik, make you humble, all you fucking jabronis. Mati, um, I, give a, right. I give a small elbow. Oh, I <laughs> short short clothesline. I give her short clothesline. <laughs> That's a real deep dive. If you folks want to look up Marty Janetti telling Iron Sheik stories, it'll be. Just honestly, YouTube Iron Sheik story. You'll have a good time. Um, all right. Um, <laughs> let's do stuff we like. Um, and while Mike loses his composure about Iron Sheik clotheslining a woman, um, let's go to Stefan first. What do you got this week, man? Um, yeah, I do have something this week. Um, so this first week wrapped um, the inaugural week of the Overwatch League. Um, this is a video game I've mentioned in the past. Um, it's basically a brand new eSport league for uh, Blizzard's kind of, uh, what is it called? A MOBA? Multiplayer player Online Battle Arena, I think is what it's called. MOBA is a genre of game, like an eSports league. Yeah, so it's like a first-person shooter arena. Kind of, uh, It's a new eSport basically featuring Overwatch. Um, it's debuting with 12 teams. We have a local team called the SF Shock. They split the colors of the Giants and the 49ers going orange and gold. Um, I bought a hat. I like them. Um, of course, all the favorite teams are loaded with Koreans because if you know anything about video games, Koreans are Koreans are to video games what Americans are to basketball. Um, if anyone else wins, it's an absolute shocker. Uh, but it's fun. I like it. The presentation's pretty cool. It takes place in this arena uh, in Burbank, California. So even though there's the London Spitfire, the Seoul Tigers, the New York Excelsior, they all battle in Burbank, California. Um, I like Overwatch a lot. I've always found watching the games competitive. And, uh, you know, Mark is the one who kind of got me into like Twitch streaming. And, you know, I used to not wonder like, why would you watch someone play a video game? And then as you get older and you have less time for them and you're just not as good at them as you used to be because you have less time for them, seeing people be really good at video games is impressive to me. Like this is the maximum potential of what this game could look like for someone who's good. I've been enjoying watching them. I've come to know some of these personalities and some of the players behind them who you see on Twitch. Um, yeah, the SF team is one and one so far. They're not one of the favorites, but uh, it's cool to have one of the teams in our backyard. But um, yeah, Overwatch League, check it out. Um, all right, I'll go. Um, not sure if anybody else watched this, but uh, David Letterman's got a show on Netflix now. I watched it, and that week. was fantastic. Yeah, see, um, he a lot of people felt like I don't know what people what the expectations were, Steph, but just to give people an idea of what it was, um, Letterman with his old man beard, his retirement beard, had Obama on his show, and it was it was just you know, 
I think people are just expecting Letterman and Obama to start shitting on President Trump, but it's not what they did. And it was just talking about the things Obama accomplished. And then there was like a sidetrack where they went into the civil rights movement. And it was there was a line, Steph, um, where Letterman tells Obama, you know, you respect the office of the president always, but you are the first president that I truly respect, which I took that to mean as like I res he respects him as a man, which Letterman's interviewed a lot of presidents and like, you know, my motherfuckers who takes I mean, I'm not going to go on a rant about like people complained that he wore a tan suit and ate mustard. All right. That's what we had with this guy. Tan suit, mustard. And, and there are a couple that went scandal-free. And that he saluted a this, Marine uh, with uh, the, the same hand that he had a, a coffee in. Yeah, tough shit. Woo, that's... this. The president right now is a fucking racist. Just put you in perspective, folks. All right? Um, I thought it was an excellent interview. It was kind of nice to, like, hear Obama just talk about being, like, a dad. Just, just and, like, living life now. Just uh, want to know, uh, one of the countries that he called a shithole... Yeah, that's uh the, the neighbor of my parents' birthplace. So I'm pretty sure he thinks the same thing about my country. I feel, by the way, we're uh the folk we're focusing too much on the shithole country part, because when he talks about Norway, is when we get confirmation about oh, his racism. Yeah, yeah. That that was the that was the coup de gras that really put yeah over the top. And then um, people are like, oh man, you. Okay, but we're going on the fucking rant. When people are like, oh, well, you know, you've, I'm sure you would say some stuff about these countries. I'm not the fucking president. All right? We hold these people to a higher standard. We think you are so good that you get to be in charge. All right? We give you this job where you are one of 45 people ever do this motherfucking thing. We hold you to a different standard than what I hold my, what, I don't know, I hold just an average fucking dude to. Anyway, back to the Obama Letterman thing. I thought it was excellent. Stefan, you uh, yeah, I agreed. I had said this after Obama's presidency was concluding. Um, if there was one thing I just would really hope for, there was no sign of it. There was no indication he would do it. I just thought it would be so fantastic if Obama had done like a road tour at arenas where it's kind of like an evening with and like where it's just he tells stories. Maybe there's a moderator like I could listen to Obama speak all day. I think he's a fascinating person. I think he's well spoken. I think he's well read. Like again, his his, his critics will always frustrate me because of what their critiques are. For the black. most part, I mean, yeah, I don't I don't need to get on that soapbox, but you know, when 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 Letterman said it, I got it. You know, um, Obama was the second president I got to vote for. I I met him in person when he when he was just running for the primary against Hillary. You know, he he spoke to a nobody like fucking senior college kid at the University of Oregon on a Saturday at an ice cream shop. Like, I do feel a connection to that guy. And I just always found him such a fascinating personality. I just wanted to hear him talk. I just wanted to hear stories of his life. I just wanted to hear what he thought about non-presidential things. You know, like he said, just talk him talking about being a dad, him talking about cooking dinner, him talking about like what movie they're going to watch, like. I just wanted to hear more from that guy. So it's not the road tour I wanted where I got to see him in person, but this was close to it. And it was just like a conversation between two guys. And my, my mom was such a big Letterman fan. So I always grew up with him on TV at home. He's a very good interview. You know, like when he's, when he, when he, when he's interested in the person, you could tell when he like, they gave him some bullshit person interview. He didn't care, but he's able to choose his guests 
people he likes to talk to. Letterman's a very good interviewer. So, I mean, it's it's one hour of your time, and I think it's a great hour spent. Uh, I'll, I'll probably watch it again. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought they did a great job. I'm not terribly interested in Clooney as the next guest. Not that I don't think Clooney's an excellent actor. What a drop it's off! Just, Obama to Clooney. I just look. I, I think honestly, it's going to be like he's going to be people. It's, I don't think. See, I don't think he cares. I think Letterman's going to interview anybody he likes. So I bet he's going to interview um, Seinfeld. You know, is that's going to be on there? I bet Chris Rock ends up being on there. It's going to be mostly comedians, of course. Was it Letterman who always had the feud with the uh, animal guy, or am I thinking of someone else? Conan always sh- they honestly they uh, Conan always shit on the animal guy. I remember a lot. Um, Letterman did too. Letterman made fun of the guy. Uh, to the 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 what's his name? The guy with the cats. Jack something. I want to say Jack Hanna. Jack, Jack Hanna. There we go. Yeah, I love Letterman. My my dad loves Letterman. I grew up watching Letterman. Um, I still. I mean, I think like yeah, like towards the end he was old man Letterman, but this guy was. He's the reason we got John Stewart. John Stewart will tell you that himself. He was he was for John Stewart and all these other guys what Johnny Carson was to him. So him having a show where he can do whatever the fuck he wants, shows up at a theater, interviews whoever he wants, kind of cool. So I really enjoyed it. Um, Marcus, what do you got? Yeah, I got a bunch of little things. I'll try to run off really quick because I know we're running kind of late. Um, First and foremost, I should have mentioned it last week, uh, but I'll mention it this week. Um, and I mentioned him in the past. Uh, Critical Role, which is probably one of the biggest, most popular live stream D&D games. Um, last year, they wrapped up their campaign that they were running. So last week, they just started up their brand new campaign. And if you're ever interested in Dungeons and & Dragons and kind of just seeing you know, what all the fuss is about, I couldn't recommend a group to stream more. They're all voice actors that have been playing Dungeons and Dragons now for five years. So they kind of know the ins and outs. And more importantly, they really embody the characters that they're playing as. So um, if before I mentioned it and you're like, oh, this has been going on too long. I don't want to just jump in the middle. Couldn't be a better time right now. They basically started from level two characters last week. You can go find that episode on YouTube on Geek and Sundry, and then they will be playing uh, a new uh, session every Thursday at uh, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Twitch on Geek and Sundry's channel. Um, so a couple other things I wanted to mention that I've been enjoying the last couple weeks in, uh, in games that are coming out. Uh, there is a new arcade edition for Street Fighter V that's coming out this week. If you haven't jumped into Street Fighter V, this is a pretty good jumping in point. You get the Season 1 and 2 characters. They've added new modes, namely a big arcade mode that has a lot more single-player content, which was a big criticism when the game first came out. I also wanted to mention on Switch, since we all have Switches now, um, this game came out a couple years ago. I love it. I'm probably going to buy it again. It was called The uh, Darkest Dungeon. That's going to be dropping on Thursday. It's a turn-based RPG, um, kind of in the realm of HP Lovecraft kind of monsters and stuff. It's a really fun turn-based RPG um, that has a lot of longevity and replay value. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I saw Shape of Water, um, Del Toro's new flick that's been getting some Oscar nominations and stuff like that. And that was a really, really good flick. Um, if you've seen Del Toro movies, he, he has a certain style that I really enjoy. And this movie just fits right into the realm of all the other stuff he's done. A really fun, interesting uh, love story. Um, I guess that's all i have i think i'm forgetting something but does felicia day still own, does felicia day own geek and sundry uh yeah i think she, yeah she like runs it or something she's not she doesn't seem as involved as she once was she was doing a lot more regular videos that she hasn't done in a while but 
I think she had a kid and she wrote a book and she might not be as hands on, but yeah, she's like pretty pretty much running that shit. I think the I think the guild is on Netflix actually. Yeah, it was, which was kind of weird too. I don't really. Yeah, I watched. I mean, you, you can watch all the guild in like a couple hours. Yeah, they're <laughs> short episodes. Short. They didn't have a ton of them, but good fun show if you, especially if you like um, yeah. MMORPGs and stuff. Yeah, I got. I know yeah. there's something else I'm missing, but whatever. I'll, I'll think of it next week. Um, question for the group. I know Mike, you got to go still. Uh, but question: Has anybody seen the post? The movie, no. The Post. I have not, but I was thought it was interesting because it's called The Post, even though the actual paper the story is based on was the New York Times. No, it's about The Post. The Washington oh, Post. Someone else it's maybe. It's about New York Times. No, because it's, it's it's about uh, Kitty Graham. Catherine Graham used to own the New York, the own the Washington Post. Isn't okay, it isn't whoever it said that the Pentagon Papers. Yeah, I think she's. I, I think they're talking. I thought that she's playing Catherine Graham. Am I nuts? No, no, you're right. Because that's the she. She. Post. Yeah, she used. She owned. Yeah, it's about. Well, the Pentagon Papers wasn't just the New York Times. Yeah, is it? it a, is that post what it's about? Yeah, it was the Washington. It was post a post. The New York Times. Yeah. Yeah, but um, uh, Kitty Graham was kind of a, like a like a legend, you know, running up being a publisher of, being the publisher of the Washington Post, and you took down the fucking president. It's a big deal. Um, I don't know if anybody has seen it, so. I'm interested. Uh, I just kind of always worried about the backlash on it from idiots. But why should I really care about their opinions? To be honest, yeah, I was. Uh, Everybody's the worst. Let's stop stifling information, people. Information helps us. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, interested she... in seeing it as well. Even to the point that um, since I couldn't find it online, I uh, settled for watching all the presidents' men this weekend. That I love that. That's maybe that's like top three movie for me. I think kind of the inside so thing is that. The very end of the post leads right into the president's men, so I think they kind of like blend right into each other. Is that what is that a thing? I like, I, I think that's what to... I heard is like right at the end. I think it kind of it has like a I don't know if it's a scene after the credits or something like that, but it kind of leads into the first scene of the president's men. Is what I heard. I haven't seen the post. You know, I, I, I re- president's men, so I don't really know. Okay, kids, if you have not seen the, all the president's men, Mike, you'll attest to this. You saw it. I don't know, if Steph, if you've seen it before or not, but. I'm really happy that movie exists in the way it does because I'm not sure you get away with a movie like that in these times with that level of stars where the fucking thing ends with just writing on this uh, on a typewriter, right? I'm like, my, I don't think they get away with like, they, there's no way that movie, the current version of that movie doesn't end with like Nixon walking out the White House. You know what I mean? Or a very like, short attention span generation. Yeah, apparently. I, I. If you haven't seen All the President's Men, please do. It is one of my favorites of all time. I'm a big Watergate nerd. Mike can probably give you a less biased opinion of it. Uh, this is actually my first time ever watching it. I had always heard about it, obviously. I didn't know what the movie was about. But this is my first time watching it this weekend, and I really liked it. It was a really good movie. Uh, um, Dustin Hoffman and Robert yep. Redford are, are awesome. Dustin Hoffman is such a little shit in that movie. It's great. He's playing Carl Bernstein. <laughs> um, Mike, uh, what do you got this week? Uh, did I talk about Black Mirror last week? Yes. I did? Then I got nothing. Well, somebody did. I got nothing this week. <laughs> I have a question for Mark then. Mark, tell me, what is Fortnite? I keep I keep hearing he, I keep hearing about Fortnite on Instagram. Yeah, for, it, it, it's confusing. It's kind of two different games. Um it was originally a early access game where you basically had to pay $40 to play this game that wasn't really done. And when it is done and it's fully ready to come out, it's going to be a free-to-play game. Um, so but essentially what it is is um, you kind of it's kind of like a zombie survival game where you kind of get thrown into these missions to either 
save other people or stop these zombie hordes from coming. Um, and that's what the game originally was. Now I don't know if you know about um, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. That's the game where it's a it's a hundred people get thrown onto a map, and last person to survive wins. Um, it's become a really popular game and a really interesting mode. And is it still in beta? It, it just it it got its final release a couple weeks ago. It just um, got one point and it's yeah, and only like. PC. It just came out for Xbox One, and that one's actually like version point uh, five. So it's still developing on consoles. Um, but anyways, it, it's, it was extremely popular game mode. Stefan's played it a lot. Our friend Eddie plays it a lot. It's kind of taken the world by storm. And Fortnite has basically adopted that um, that kind of mission structure. And there's, I think it's called Fortnite. I don't know if it's called Battlegrounds or what its little sub subgenre is. But that is actually free to play. You can actually download it right now on your PS4 and essentially what it is, it's just like Battlegrounds where um, 100 players get dropped on a map. And then um, in the map, there's buildings and there's loot in the buildings, like weapons and stuff. So everyone's trying to get weapons. And basically, much like uh, PUBG, there's a circle that you need to be in. If you're not within this circle, when the time expires, um, you start losing health and you eventually die. So it kind of hurdles everybody into a certain area to kind of guarantee that people just aren't just sitting in one place forever, not engaging. It kind of enforces engagements, and the last person to win so uh, uh, wins the game. So that's an extremely popular mode. And once they adopted that mode, the game has really skyrocketed. So it, it's really it's weird um, because the game is going to be free to play later this year when it's finally done. There's just like the zombie fighting aspect, um, but the P PVP 100 person map is free to play right now, and that is doing really well. And that kind of gave the game some uh, new legs. But it's interesting. Um, it has a really kind of cartoony art style to it. Um, and yeah, it's just it's kind of blown up. But yeah, it's getting more popular. It, it's cool because what you do in that game is you can build structures. So unlike uh, uh, PlayerUnknown's Battleground, where you're kind of just in this big map, in this game, like if someone's shooting at you, you can just build a wall in front of you to kind of defend yourself. So, and then you can build jump pads. So there's, there's kind of some more diversity you can do in Fortnite. It doesn't have that kind of like tight gameplay and kind of the tension that um, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds does. So um, yeah, that's more or less what it is. Cool. Um, all right, uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to talk about uh, the results of this UFC card and this Bellator card. Again, I'm not kidding. We're watching both of these with Bellator being probably the better card. Um, next week they got a pretty good card. I someone help me out. I had it open. It was was it Brunson and uh, Jacare, right? Jacare versus Brunson too. OSP versus Ilar Latifi. Dennis Bermudez versus Andre Feely. That just seems like a good time. Bobby Green, Eric Koch. Not terribly familiar with Gregor Gillespie or Jordan Rinaldi. But I really like the Mursad Bektik, Godofredo Pepe fight. And Stefan, one of your favorites and one of my favorites, Randa Marcos taking on Juliana Lima. That should be a good fight too. So this is a much deeper card than what we got this week, to be honest. Yep. Yeah. Steph, were you going to say something? Because you muted yourself. I was gonna say, but it don't got that aura, as Mark said. It don't got the aura yeah, of gotta Francis have that, that Super Saiyan aura. You just, you just slack a title fight on top of it. That would have been oh, excellent. Like I said, watch the countdown episode and just look for that scene where they just like drop him in the middle of like a desert and mountain. And do well, he, he, he's just, well, he just trains and he trains at the UFC Performance Institute. Wait a second. Guys. So they probably. Justine the Shitstorm Kish is on that card. Oh, are you calling her the shitstorm? Poor girl poops in the cage, and that's what it does for you? All right, maybe not the shitstorm then. How about... I mean, Romero, the other shitstorm, he's getting an interim title shot. All right, let me... There's a lot of poo on let this me... card, folks. Let me try this nickname off for you. 
Justine, Miss Poopy Pants, Kish. Di- Justine, Diarrhea, Daisy, Kish. That's not bad. Um, Justine, all right. Brown, uh, yeah. Three, Kish. Okay. Brown Why don't you tweet us your best Brown Bomber for our nickname. Yeah, and we'll tell you if we like it. You know what? Don't tweet us that. Tweet Mike that. All right. Tweet that. Tweet. Uh, <laughs> tweet at Doctor Law. Wait, tweet at Twitter? me. Hit my Twitter up. No one's responding. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> you want to? You want to be talking right, about guys. being dropped in a desert? All right. <laughs> Mike's gonna. We gotta go so Mike can go Google uh, Marty Janetti and Iron Sheik videos. Um, thank you guys all for listening. <laughs> um, no one's gonna get that. Um, we'll be back next week, as I mentioned. Uh, check out um, check out the Letterman thing, man, because um, it was really cool. And fuck, he's talking to the former president. Somebody, and look, we're not saying he's a perfect man. If you want to attack Obama for something, I'd go with drones. Have some, you know, have some actual ammo, folks. Give me this fucking tan suit mustard shit. All right, guys. Uh, back next week. Thank you for listening. Peace out. See you, See you guys.